0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry, and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: You know, don't need to rush, uh, and maybe to take one or two more risks... uh... I've tended to just, uh, you know, opportunity comes along, I, you know, you take it. But I've never really planned anything. So the only thing I haven't, I think the one thing I haven't done, which I quite like to do at some point, probably is work abroad.
0: Today I'm talking to Robin Taylor, who is a senior fellow at the UK's National Nuclear Laboratory. Robin lives in West Cumbria with his family. Welcome, Robin, and thank you for taking the time out to talk to me.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the invitation.
0: So, you grew up in Stoke. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that was like and what you were like at school and that sort of thing.
1: Uh, I went to school, a comprehensive school on the outskirts of, of Stoke, a place called Trentham. Just a big, average, comprehensive high school, really, back in the uh, sort of 70s and 80s. Obviously, there's a wide, wide range of subjects, you know, at the time, of which chemistry was one probably that stood out. We had a very good chemistry teacher at the time. So yes, it's, uh, whenever I hear that sort of Madness song, Baggy Trousers, that's kind of what it was like back in the uh, 80s. <laughs>
0: you were wearing baggy trousers and you didn't have a ponytail or anything, did you? No, no, 80s? just uh,
1: some of the uh, some of the lyrics there are quite, uh, <laughs> quite apt.
0: <laughs> so, so chemistry sort of grabbed your attention. You say that was because of the teacher. What was it about his teaching that really made a difference for you, do you think?
1: It's a very engaging teacher that we had at the time. He... Uh, you know he really made the subject interesting he was entertaining treated everybody equally and uh, engaged with people much more interactive perhaps than, than some of the others
0: it's interesting isn't it how how a good teacher or the enthusiasm of a teacher and the you know the way they they approach a subject can really make a difference to uh, to what you like and what you enjoy at school
1: yes yeah and it makes the subject sometimes easier and more interesting and yeah brings it you know does bring it alive in, in some way in many ways yeah yeah it's a really important influence
0: yeah so so you liked it so much you decided to do that at uh, at Manchester so why did you decide to go to university and and why did you decide on Manchester? Well, sort of in Stoke we have a six form college system as well so so there was
1: a six form college where I, I did sort of mass physics chemistry classic combination <laughs> <So> <laughs> physics was was really quite hard at A level chemistry is Kind of more pictorial in a way, less reliant on maths, certainly at the time it's more easier to, to grasp and to understand the concepts. And also sort of tries and it explains a lot of the, the kind of world around you. A lot of obviously the things that we use every day are based on chemistry, <laughs> uh, everyday life. So it, it, uh, it seemed a natural choice for me. Um, physics was probably too mathematical.
0: So what was it about Manchester that particularly attracted you?
1: Well, a number of things. My dad went there, so that was one, one link. Had some family in the region anyway. Wasn't too far from home, but it was a big city. But also the course. They offered a really good course at the time, which was based on different modules, and you could take various options, uh, which not all the universities at, at that time did. So I was able to choose one or two different things. And there was a course on nuclear radio radio chemistry as well, which was always something I was quite interested in. So that, again, was a sort of driver.
0: That was was a good good fit then. So how how did you adapt from school and then college into university life? Did you find it an easy transition, or how did you find it? I suppose it was a bit odd in
1: that we had the sixth form college set up. So in some ways that was perhaps a bridge... There were some downsides I think to that setup but it did it was more a setup based on individual learning and having been able to manage your time so that was probably one of the big changes isn't it having to sort of take responsibility and and manage your own time make sure you get to your lectures and your practicals that you you do what's what's necessary amongst everything else (laughs) that's going on.
0: Did you find that you were enjoying the practical side of things more than the sort of theoretical side or the modelling side? Or... Practical
1: has never been my strongest point. But it, what I did find was on the practical side, a lot of the instrumentation work was... I, I preferred the sort of physical chemistry and the organic chemistry rather than the, the synthetic organic chemistry. I was particularly bad at, uh, <laughs> at organic chemistry. <laughs> so, yeah, a combination, I think, of the, the sort of more physical side and the theoretical side
0: it is funny that thing about chemistry isn't it an organic versus inorganic chemistry what is it? i mean some people seem to love one and hate the other or not be able to do the other or 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 the opposite i've met very few people that seem to be as happy in both worlds What what is it about that do you think organic chemistry some people have a knack for it
1: i think you have to learn how to how to make molecules Recover them from your solvents, uh, crystallise them, characterise them. Some people have a real, a real talent for making it work. It um, uh, can be almost like a, a black art in in some cases, I think. <laughs> Whereas other people just don't seem to have that so much. And that it, and it is a really practical, traditional chemistry um, side, the organic. Uh, but you do get people who. who Combine the two, we've got a, a lot of in,
0: inorganic synthesis type people
1: uh, as well. So that's probably the the area where it converges.
0: <laughs> you enjoyed your undergraduate degree so much or university life so much, you decided you didn't have enough of it after three years. So you stayed on to do research, which is actually another big step. So tell me about what was your thinking at the time and why did you decide to do that? I think
1: originally I was, I was looking for... A, a job and considering I'm um, you know um, went to a few interviews and uh, again it was probably things that were said in that final year we, we did a research project which I, I really enjoyed well two research projects actually and then one. I remember one of the, uh, the staff saying that the sort of PhD was the best time that he had had as a chemist because it was the only time that you actually had a chance to follow your own nose you you know develop your own area really focus for 3 years on on one one subject which you would become the expert in <laughs> and after that you you probably never get that chance again and and that that sort of struck home i think
0: i know i've said to to phd's that, you know students that i've supervised that you know at the, at the beginning you have this sense of you know you think you've done a degree so you know a lot but actually when you start to focus in on you know a particular area you realize how little you know so you almost start a phd feeling you know nothing but then by the end of the time you're absolutely right you 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 should be the world expert because nobody else has had three years (laughs) to study that that narrow subject in that very very narrow area getting through those three years has its highs but it also has its lows doesn't it of course, yeah, and it's really excellent training in, in being able to uh, to cope with those, you know, as
1: you say, the highs where everything works and the lows where nothing works.
0: Oh, I know. So t- tell us a little bit about your PhD experience. So, yes, yeah, so
1: I did, decided to do a PhD in radiochemistry uh, in Manchester. Manchester were well known at the time and still are for, for that that area. So originally it was going to be on sort of nuclear reactions using sort of heavy element uh, bombarding of, of targets but this sort of facility there actually closed down, so so I switched to a, a more re- one based on neutron activation analysis. So this used the the reactor at um, initially the one at uh, at Risley.
0: The university had a reactor, didn't they, jointly with Liverpool? That's right. Yes.
1: Yeah. And that's right. Yeah. And then we moved to using the one at Imperial College for for the last few months. So it was analysing. Samples from actually Roman pottery, working out the sort of chemical fingerprint of those using neutron activation analysis and gamma spectroscopy and then some statistical methods and then comparing different batches to see where some of these materials had come from originally. And that told some of our archaeologists, collaborators, things about trade routes and, and stuff like that.
0: It's, it's fascinating, isn't it, that coming together of, you know... The, always the science and the arts where they where they actually come together. So, it's. yeah, no, we had we
1: had some really sort of interesting discussions with the sort of archaeologists who, and they think quite differently about. <laughs> so, as a scientist, you're taught to base things really on hard evidence and not to jump to conclusions and uh, really sift the the evidence that you've got and and uh, as they're trying to work out, you know, things that really are very unclear and uncertain and come to some kind of rational explanation of those uh, so it, it is a quite a
0: as you say a meeting of, of worlds. So tell me dur- during your time at, at university and I guess particularly in the PhD which stretches you and tests you in different ways doesn't it what, what do you think you sort of learned about yourself and you, what you enjoyed or what your strengths and weaknesses were?
1: I think I really found that I did enjoy research and that again you have to go through some testing times where you just <laughs> seems that everything's against you but if you work hard enough and keep plugging away at the, at the problem you know you can get to that point and not having the resilience as well you know because at the end you've got the the job of writing the thesis which is something nobody enjoys but <laughs> has to be done so you've really got to so it teaches you a lot of, again about i think the having to work hard towards that goal even, as well, and having the resilience to, to carry on.
0: Yeah, I often say it, 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 having a PhD kind of says to people as much about you as a person as it does about the sort of quality of the science that you've done, because it is a test of character, as you say, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and uh, I, th- I think one of the other things that sort of influenced me as well was my, my um, PhD supervisor did all sorts of huge body of work from many years going back but never seemed to have time to publish it so it, uh, a lot of it was you know, just some great
0: things that they'd done and just no one else knew about it. <laughs> but it has been an ongoing feature in your career of, of publishing work and uh, getting it you know, out there in the scientific literature and so on.
1: Yeah I think that's important uh, uh, particularly in science which is really built on that, that body of knowledge that everybody contributes to.
0: Yeah, that's right. If, if I mean, if you were talking to a young sort of scientist or an engineer who had that opportunity to publish, what would you say were the benefits to them of doing that?
1: I mean, obviously, there's the there's a sort of benefit on on paper. You know, you've got you've got your papers on your CV, and um, people start to recognise recognise you, and it helps to build networks when you go to conferences and places. But I also think it's just personal satisfaction as well there's a lot of that as you know you've do, you've done a piece of work it got to a certain point and found out something interesting and then the satisfaction of actually being able to get it published and and to get it published it has to go through that really rigorous review you have to be able to sort of uh justify your your conclusions and your results and so when you get to that point you know you can feel quite proud that that piece of work has has, has made it <laughs> And it's been recognised, you know, recognised. And it's been through that rigour as well, that challenge. And challenge is really important.
0: Anyway, so you've you successfully finished your PhD and then you started a career in the nuclear industry working with BNFL. Yes, so
1: as I said, I I, I was kind of been interested in radioactivity and, uh, and some of the science behind the nuclear industry, I guess, for, for you know, quite a long time. And um, I did a PhD in radio, radiochemistry. So... It was an obvious place to, to be applying to and at the time BNFL were, were sort of on a drive to reinvigorate their research base. They'd, I think they'd heavily relied on UKAA for a number of years and at this point they were wanting to develop them much more independent research base so they were rec- recruiting a sort of cohort of, of research associates at the time.
0: So you left Manchester and you, you went up to work at Sellafield How did you find that transition? Because not only are you moving from a city to West Cumbria, you know, lovely lake district and everything, but very, very different sort of culture and everything, but also from a university where you had absolute freedom to follow your nose, as you said in your PhD, into a job where I guess you had a boss and projects that somebody else had defined for you. How did you find that?
1: It was quite difficult at the start, the first year or two. Yeah, it was quite a transition, very cold and dark and wet when I arrived at Sellafield. They were also quite a bit behind in terms of technology and things like access to computers, so it felt a bit like a step backwards in, in, in time. I mean, luckily, there were a lot of younger people just out of university who we're trying to move things forward so that was good so yeah it was it was a transition but i think it was once you started to get the into some of the real research and understand the projects that we were doing i was given my own area to work in that's i think that's what made a big difference we were given quite a quite a bit of responsibility early on so quite quickly yes you had to learn to as you say manage a number of projects but also start to oversee the people who just come in and then start to manage little areas of, of work. So it sort of rapidly grew. So it's a good experience, and, but it was a, yeah, a steep learning curve.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so and I think sometimes we, we forget that steep learning curve, you know, when, when you've got the experience and you're used to flitting from one thing to another and focusing on, you know, a number of things during the course of a day or an afternoon or an hour or, or, or whatever, that, that actually that's a skill that you've developed over a number of years you know and for, for young people coming into their first job it's actually a, a new thing
1: yeah so we um, I think giving people that responsibility sort of you know early on is is, is challenging but it's, it's a really really good for them I mean one of the things we had was I think within the first two or three years I myself and one or two colleagues were out in Russia working with some of the people there and trying to manage some of the work programs that BNFL were funding in Russia, so that was a, <laughs> that was a real experience. Uh, <laughs> you must, experience. Have, seen, you
0: must <laughs> have seen a different culture there and different sorts of facilities and so. It was,
1: it was incredible, yeah, yeah. In the sort of mid nineties, yeah. I mean, they were going through quite a tough time as well, just coming out of communism and a lot of the infrastructure was breaking down. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of the people there were brilliant, you know, world world leaders um, in their areas. But you had a lot of cultural things to <laughs> to deal with as well and. They would give you a, a report. You sort of arrive in the late at night, and they would give you a 50-page report and expect you to have read it all by the morning, to, and then grill you on <laughs> on it.
0: So, um, in your your career, you've you've really focused on technical excellence. I would say that sort of characterised you. But there's always this sort of challenge around, uh, you know, being technical or taking, you know, in, in a focused area or taking a broader perspective as a, in, in a sort of management or, or a business development type of role. Tell us about, you know, how you've approached those opportunities as they've come up and, and how you've sort of ended up, you know, as a, a senior fellow where you, you know, in, in your role now.
1: So i obviously started with a technical role and then I had an opportunity to, to interact heavily with the universities and help set up some university research alliances. I was involved in helping set up the first one of those in, in radio chemistry at Manchester. So again, you start to get a broader picture and you start to start to think and learn from people who are thinking a bit more strategically. So I did that for two or three years combined with the technical work. And then, and then I had the opportunity to to manage our team. So the, well, the, the team at the time was about 50 people, chemistry and physics team. So it wouldn't have been my natural choice, but... There wasn't really anybody else, so it kind of landed on me. But again, it it showed you a different experience and you have to start to understand better the the business side and how do you combine that with thinking about the direction of that team in the longer term. We had a number of challenges at that time in terms of thinking about the future sustainability of the area as things were changing in the industry around about 2000 and moving towards focusing on decommissioning. So we had to think about what the next five even 10 years ahead as well as managing the sort of business of the team day to day uh, and trying to keep up with the technical side as well because I, I didn't want to let that go so I did that for about two or three years and for, or so and, uh, and then we had a reorganisation and one of our colleagues much missed Ivan Owens and su- suggested to me that I should really move back into the, the specialist side and, and, and lead technically the the area so I can credit Ivan for really <laughs> bringing me completely back into the technical which is there's been a so it was good to get that experience um and I think if if you if if you're offered it you should take it for a just to get just to start because it gives you a better understanding of the business also managing people and knowing how to how teams can work and sort of more longer term strategy as well and that's all really useful you know as a even as a specialist if you've got those skills it's i think it's it really helps
0: but i think it can it can help you develop in in different ways and it can also by stepping out into the unknown a little bit you can discover things that about yourself and your own skills and abilities that you wouldn't discover otherwise wouldn't you
1: and I also now know now that that's not something I want to do. <laughs> exactly, yes. <that's laughs> so, it, yes, yes I've so. done it. I've, uh, I've, yeah.
0: uh, yes, I'm much happier where I am. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, you know, the industry, all industries need specialists, but specialists, as Paul Nevitt, I think, said when I was talking to him, he quoted uh, a guy from Rolls-Royce, actually, who, who talked about specialists being generalists and it's that that combination as you sort of said of being focused and having a deep understanding in an area but also understanding the context of it and being able to place it within the wider picture you know both now and for the future and that's something that which you know you've you've you know you're a kind of model person who who's, who's able to do that but it is something that the industry we've talked about for some years really faces a challenge because you know, some of the specialists and the people who are really experienced, you know, in key areas, you know, in the nuclear industry are retiring. And we, we highlight, you know, the, the need to develop subject matter experts, you know, the next generation of subject matter experts. How, how do you think we can, we can do that uh, effectively going forward? I think it, the best thing that I've found is,
1: is having a really interesting research programme. You know, that's what draws us in, uh, that's what drew me in. We now have the Nuclear Innovation Programme, the Advanced Fuel Cycle Programme, a part of that that NNL has, which is a really exciting long-term, hopefully, <laughs> Re- research programme looking at the you know, the future technologies that we need. And that it's those sort of things that really, I think, um, draw young people in and motivate them, and then if we can give them the right opportunities... When, we, when they do join, we have a pretty good distribution in our team. We have a lot of young, really good people that we've managed to bring in over the last four or five years, kind of on the back of the, the AFCP, the Advanced Fuel Cycle Programme, the NNL's Core Science Programme, and some of the research that we do for, for Sellafield and, and the NDA. So that's a combination of really good science and a useful science applied science it's it, and working with you know working with the universities as well and exposing them to those opportunities i know we talk a lot about the need to you know bring in uh, new people but i think at 10 we are doing that we're doing it pretty successfully what we now need to do is make sure that there's a path for those people to become the subject matter experts when when we we disappear
0: and i, I think the other aspect that you've really drawn on successfully has been the european programs and combining our sort of core research with the wider research programs across europe because that has brought together you know nl as part of that wider landscape
1: yeah that's something i've really enjoyed i would say over the last last 10 to 15 years is having those interactions with particularly with our sort of european colleagues uh through the through joint projects i've always thought as well that it's it's important that we are outward looking You know, that we don't pretend that we know all the answers and that we do work with others and learn learn from others. And you can make so much progress through collaboration much quicker than you can
0: in a silo. So if you sort of look back over your career, can you point to any sort of single event or single person who has had the biggest impact on you? There's been...
1: Yeah, two, two or three people. My, my PhD supervisor was one, my first. Probably the only person I would call a boss, uh, <laughs> as opposed to a manager, <laughs> if, I can, if I'm allowed to say that. The guy I first worked for at um, the NFL technical department at the time, uh, a man called Ian Dennis, who designed Thorpe, the, the reprocessing plant there. He was an incredibly knowledgeable person. Also, you know, one or two people we've met around the world as well. You know, Craig Chopin was one. Again, who was able to span that, those scales, uh, as I said, from we're talking one minute about the, the, the deep science to the sort of strategy and politics of the of the industry at it, another uh, a minute later. You know, so there are a few standout people, but then again, some of those experiences of working with the Russians and and then the European projects more late recently and working with the, the teams there. The people we've had in the teams around, you know, over the years, we've had some phenomenal people and, you know, some really great people to work with in the team who don't always get the recognition that, uh, that they should and the sort of skills that they have as well, working in, with plutonium and in glove boxes. In the labs, it's it's um, that, that's been probably the, probably the best experience, I would say.
0: Uh, I'm just picturing you at college, thinking about your chemistry and your maths and your physics, what advice would you give the young Robin?
1: I think there's one or two things. I think stay in the lab longer. <laughs> Keep, uh, you know, um, and also there's, there is time. There's always, you're always in a bit of a rush perhaps, but there is time to, to do things and, you know, don't need to rush. Uh, and maybe to take one or two more risks. Uh, I've tended to just, uh, you know, opportunity comes along, I, you know, you take it. But I've never really planned anything. So the only thing I haven't, I think the one thing I haven't done, which I quite like to do at some point, probably is work abroad. Um, I, know, I never I never did a postdoc. So uh, that's kind of something I, I missed out on. So maybe.
0: Well, maybe there's still time. You never know. Still time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Who knows, yeah. Yeah, and
1: end end my career doing that, perhaps. Yeah. There you go. Instead there you go. There's, it. there's
0: yeah. an objective. <laughs> Lovely. Well, look, Robin, it's been great to chat to you. Thanks so much for you know being open and talking through your career journey and uh, what you've learned along the way. And I think the more we can sort of pass on, you know, the experience of people like you, because we need more people like you in the industry. I think it's it's a helpful, good. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, there's something of interest there. <laughs> you there oh i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure look thanks very much no problem if you've enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review thank you